Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode one of What Would You Do If You Weren't Afraid. I never thought I would be a podcaster or an author, but you know what? Here I am. So, why did I write the book What Would You Do If You Weren't Afraid? A, because I've always been afraid, and B, because I discovered a way of how to be less afraid. So in my book and in our podcast, we will share tips of how can we be less afraid? How can we overcome that natural fear and anxiety that so many of us are feeling? And we'll host people from different streams of life and different professions, politicians and artists and musicians, and we'll ask them, what kind of fear do you experience in your personal and professional lives? And how do you overcome those fears? My name is Michal Oshman, and like many of us, I hold different hats, different roles in my life. I'm a mother of four. I'm an executive in tech companies like eBay, Facebook, and now TikTok. And I also hold three university degrees in the areas of sociology and anthropology. But I'm also a woman that's been suffering from mental health for most of my life, specifically from anxiety. And with our incredible guest, Candice Brethwaite, we are going to offer frameworks and different ideas and personal experiences to help you navigate your big question of what would you do if you weren't afraid. But you're not just going to listen to me and Candice. At the end of the episode, I'm going to share some practical one-to-one coaching questions with you questions that will help you take the learning from listening to Candice into your very own life and give you some tools and frameworks to navigate your own search for meaning, for growth, and for overcoming fear. I'm honored and thrilled to welcome Candice Brathwaite to our show today. Candice, you are so many things. You're a mother of two children. You are an activist. You're an author. You're a best-selling author. You are a fashionista. You're a blogger. You're an influencer. In 2018, Candice learned that Black British mothers in the UK are five times more likely to die in childbirth than white women. And from that moment of discovery, Candice has been trying to change that, to fight that, to influence government, doctors, nurses. You are making the world a better place for all. Thank you, Candice, for joining us. Welcome to the show. Candice, it's such a joy and a pleasure to welcome you to the What Would You Do If You Weren't Afraid podcast, because I just want to get to know you. And I know that all of our listeners would like to do the same. So, you know, I think one thing to begin with is that 
you're everywhere. You are in the different platforms on TikTok and Instagram TV. You're an author. You're about to publish your third book. And I found it fascinating following you and seeing the different sides of you, of what makes you you. And what I'm hoping to do today is really discover those different sides of you, but also the full you. So how to connect all of that and for people to understand, you know, who you are, what you stand for, and what you really care about. So hopefully we can go under uh, and and have some real conversation, which I know you feel very, very comfortable with. So mm. if you're happy with that, we can just dive in. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Great. So I want to take you on a time machine, um, Candice, and I want to ask you to look back mm. um, and to look back to maybe a couple of meaningful moments in your life. And I'm sure you had many more than a couple. Mm. Uh, but reading your bio and reading about you, it seems like potentially, you know, we're now in 2022. 2014 was probably mm. a meaningful year for you. And then even going back eight years before that, mm. around 2006. So mm. can you take us on the Candice journey, going back <sighs> those eight year leaps um, and tell us, you know, who you were eight years ago, who you mm. were, who were you 16 years ago? How have you evolved and take us on a journey? Oh my gosh. I think the easiest place to start with that is that the, the mountains, the largest mountains in the road are definitely my dad dying when I was 20. My dad died really suddenly. He got the flu and it turned into pneumonia. And he actually drove himself to hospital and died 20 minutes later. That's how quickly he fell ill. And at the time, I was an au pair in Naples in Italy. And I had to come home and deal with grief because on my dad's side, I'm an only child. And that was really, really lonely. And then I would say the second biggest mountain was becoming a mother for the first time. And during that experience with my daughter, I got something called postpartum sepsis um, which got really out of hand and I was very close to death's door we almost didn't make that scenario so whenever I look at the stretch of my life I see those two mountains and as, as sad and as negative as both of those stories can be they were absolutely the points in my life I can see I tried to pivot or I tried to take that sadness and that those scary moments and learn from them and I didn't always get it right 20 you're a baby I'm still a baby I'm only 33 but 20 you're a kid and it's so funny because I didn't go to uni and you're now paying national insurance and tax and you think you're a grown up and then something like death comes along and just shows you a side to life that most humans aren't comfortable expressing or even warning you about and having to move through that without the guidance of an elder and by that I mean my mother's parents are both still alive so at 20 I'm now having a life experience One parent can't connect with me and the other parent has never had that. And so I'm now the adult in this situation, trying to work out how to move through these emotions and trying to understand what life means now that the person I love the most is not necessarily on earth. That was a really hard lesson to learn. I think there was a lot of rebellion, a lot of scary times, a lot of pushback. And I would say, and I hate to say this because I think it's really saccharine and oftentimes puts far too much pressure on a child, but my firstborn did come and 
change things. I don't want to say save me, but she did change a lot. In what way did she change things for you? Um, in what way did she change things? You have something else to live for. So that's that. And that's a pretty normal experience amongst many women who become mothers. So you have someone else to live for. And in a weird way, my version of living for her meant I was not going to spend the next 50, 60, 70 years of my life being desperately unhappy. It was not an option for me. I had come from a community that, and this is no fault of their own, within the, the black community, motherhood is often sold as this burden, as a thing many don't want to partake in. And for whatever reason, they've perhaps had these children out of feeling shame if they decide not to, or being advised by others, you know, it's the one great success of your life. And I looked at her and I thought, okay, that's not the version of motherhood I want to partake in, number one. And because I'd lost my dad, it was really important to me that she and now my son understand that they are not my world. You are your own planet. We exist in the same universe, but you cannot be my world and I cannot be yours because God forbid when either of us go, I don't want your world to stop spinning. And you know, that's the lesson that losing my dad taught me. I just thought my world did stop for many years and I can hear him now like cheering me on but I can also hear him saying like kid this isn't good you know I can't come back there you can't yet come here so life has to keep moving and so it's given me motherhood has given me a new lease of life and independence that is uncanny because most people would say that motherhood takes those things away from you that is such a powerful message and as a mother myself I can totally relate. And sometimes people, well, maybe not explicitly, but kind of seems like they're judging when I say similar things as, you know, I love you kids, but <laughs> I also really, really matter. Yeah. You know, I, I matter. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm here to be your mother and I'm here mm. to do. And speaking of that, my daughter just came in after not seeing her for five days because oh. I was on a business trip. So I'm, and she just spotted the gift that I got her. Um, so, sweetheart, this is your gift. Open it. Close the door. And mommy's going to be with you in 40 minutes. Close the door, my dear. Okay, so now we kept it like really real, right? Anyway, we're going to focus on you. And thank you, Candice, because like already... You're saying such brave, big, meaningful, and, you know, for some people could sound like controversial mm. um, things. And I know that you're brave. Mm. I've been reading your content and following you, and it seems like you are feeling, and, you know, we should never judge how things look from the outside, mm. but it seems like as you are maybe maturing or going on life's journey, you're feeling comfortable in your own skin and you're feeling comfortable to say, when you're wrong or when you're unsure. And Ooh. I love the post that you shared yesterday. You said on TikTok, I think you said there's a difference between fighting for something and working on something. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And the different energies. Yeah. And can you tell us, first of all, what are you fighting for? Do you know what? I think, and I've this is a realization I came to at the back end of last year, so much of, especially my work life, because so much of it, is online. I think I spent a lot of time fighting for recognition and fighting for my ego to be massaged. 
And so many people who live a life online or even halfway in the public eye, I know they won't be quick to say that because that's kind of embarrassing, right? It's like, it's having to reckon with the fact that maybe I'm not doing this work for the right reasons. Maybe I want to be seen as this person or be invited to this party. And I have spent the last few months really trying to untangle the two. And I've arrived at a place this year where I'm like, I'm no longer fighting for things. Anyone who's read my work knows I'm all about the woo-woo, the energy, the law of the universe. That's my vibe. And it's like fighting is the energy we don't want. I don't want to fight for things. And the reality is from a historical standpoint, black women shouldn't have to do that anymore. You know, we've come a really long way and I'm really lucky to be born in a time where I don't necessarily have to fight to sit at the front of the bus or I don't necessarily have to fight to be able to vote. There are so many black women who have come before me who have worn those boxing gloves and I don't necessarily have to put them on. This isn't to say that I won't work hard. I'm obsessed with working hard. It thrills me. Like I'll do 16 hour days and not eat. That is not healthy. But I'm just saying I can be so in love with what I'm doing. Time doesn't matter. It doesn't feel like a stressor to me. So I will work. But what I won't engage in is a fight. Such a transition. And, you know, of course, I want to ask you how you managed uh, to mm. get to this place. But I'll have to park that because firstly, I want to ask you, one of the things I've got really excited about reading your books is mm. that you have a purpose, mm. right? You 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 have a mission that you're driving. And as you know, I'm very passionate about Jewish wisdom, universal mm. Jewish wisdom, and the deep ideas within that wisdom that help us navigate life. Mm. And one of those ideas are about having meaning and having mm. purpose in life to be able to navigate because people have been you know, depressed and anxious and jealous. And you very candidly spoke about jealousy recently. For thousands of years, Sigmund <laughs> Freud did not came up with the idea of jealousy, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, thinking about purpose and how critical it is to have purpose for mental health, mm -hmm. you found your purpose through trauma, right? Yeah. Through almost, God forbid, tragedy after you gave birth to your daughter. So, Tell us about that purpose, that raising awareness to what's happening in the UK, British health systems. Mm, yeah, I, I think what's so funny, that part of my purpose found me. When I almost died in 2013, black maternal mortality in the UK was not a conversation. And we absolutely did not have the data that we then came to have in say 2018. So what happened is that trauma literally got parked. And I only ever discussed these near death experiences with black girlfriends who had been through similar things. And it was like the thing you discuss once the kids were getting sticky and gross at soft play or something like it just happened in secret. And then the back end of 2018, um, there was a report called the Embrace Report that revealed data that black women in the UK at that time were five times more likely to die in childbirth than their white counterparts. And I was like, right. And it's just like all these alarm bells started ringing. I was like, okay, this is your moment. And this is now where that trauma makes sense. This is not a moment to be missed. This is not your time to be quiet. In my 
opinion, this is why that near-death experience happened, this is why God, the universe, has aligned me with the platform that I have, I was like, now's your time to go, and I was on the cusp of looking for a book deal, I'd been turned down at least 12 times by that point, because um, it was all, oh, your social media platforms are too small, it was all of that stuff, and then once I decided to make the conversation about black motherhood, I got a book deal in like six days, once everything just begun to align and then the book comes out May 2020 which many may remember that's when the Black Lives Matter movement happened as that's like my book came out the week George Floyd was murdered again not only could you not orchestrate that I wouldn't want to orchestrate it but then what that meant is my first ever book about black British motherhood was being promoted as one of the books you need to read to educate yourself about the lives of black people. I could not make that up. I could not make trying to spread that message up. I now get to speak to people who work for the NHS about their best practices. I Am Not Your Baby Mother is now listed as essential reading for any person that wants to become a British midwife. Like that book's beyond me. That message is, and I, I, you know, some people are like, aren't you proud? And I'm like, not necessarily, because I understand that I'm just literally like the owl, the carrier pigeon. And I don't sit here and take credit for that message, that data. I don't take credit for any of it. I'm just happy to be part of the process. And to now think there is a book that is going to inform and educate the people that will then go on to look after black bodies. I, I'm I, Outside of my children, I might die with no greater accolade, to be fair. <laughs> and just, you're so, you know, we, we heard you sharing your um, thoughts about being on social media and is that to feed your ego, but then you're so humble <laughs> with, you know, I just want to say, you know, enjoy it, girl. But I'm sure you, you're also enjoying it when you hear of people, uh, and I love you use the language of raising awareness because mm. then no one feels, it doesn't sound you want people to feel bad. They, you just want them to be aware mm-hmm. and then take action. Yeah. And one of my favorite quotes is, if you change nothing, nothing will change. Mm-hmm. How can you see people starting to take action? So they read your content, mm-hmm. they read your book, they follow you, they mm-hmm. understand that mm-hmm. for whatever reason, you know, upbringing, the communities that we were part of, we are carrying these biases, mm-hmm. you know, within ourselves. We don't mm-hmm. even know that they're there. And, you know, maybe we shouldn't even feel guilty. But what are we going to do about it? So when people approach you, and I'm sure they do, and they say, <laughs> I'm a CEO of an organization. I'm a parent. I'm a person. Mm. How can I change myself? Because mm. if I don't change myself, nothing will change. Mm. What What do you say to them? I'm always like, it starts with self-awareness. I mean, we can buy all the books in the land, but we have to be keyed into our moments of judgments and bias to be able to work against them. And then it's about using your privilege for good. And it's so funny. I had a, a young white woman asked me on TikTok today, you know, what can I do to fight the pay discrepancy amongst 
influences. You know, I don't want to overstep my position. And I, I know it can be really awkward, but I think if done in a really lovely way, no one is going to take offense to someone using their privilege to make their lives easier. And it turns out I had a few white women message me over the course of the last year. They've started like these maternal groups where if a black woman has to attend an antenatal appointment alone, they will go with them. That is like, that gives me chills. You can't make that up. This isn't to say that this black woman is single. I I wasn't single, but there were many appointments I had to go to alone because my husband was at work. And then what happened is the judgments and the biases of the doctor, they were looking at me like, oh, another black single mum. Then I felt like I couldn't advocate for myself or speak up for what I wanted. And so having someone who just by proxy of what they look like has privilege to enter a room and have their voice heard come with you is such a power move. And it's really tiny things like that. You know, you don't have to get something to the floor of parliament. We don't have to change any laws, but we do have to take the time out to look out for each other you can't make that up really At it's all. just so um <laughs> brilliant i'm listening to you wearing my also different hats right mm. like you i wear different hats you know my my hat is as a mother as, mm. a, as a wife as a daughter i'm also a woman of faith mm. i'm also a professional and i'm just kind of listening to you and i feel like everything you say i can wear all of my hats and it makes sense in every department of my life. Mm. Unfortunately, I don't have that fashion side that you have. And believe me, I was so nervous before our meeting today. I was like, you are not going to wear a black t-shirt or a white t-shirt. So I made huge efforts to get this jacket and, and this necklace and put my li red lipstick on only to see you without lipstick. But obviously, I've literally oh. just come from the gym. <laughs> But it's okay because our <laughs> listeners just imagine you with that beautiful lip gloss that we often see you on social. But that's me, right? Um, but when I was in dark places in my journey, and I'm like you, I believe that those dark moments are only one step before the beautiful mm. growth that we have. I learned that there's a beautiful saying that says, the day you were born was the day that the world was missing you. Exactly mm. you, your soul. And every single day, the world continue to miss us, you, because if not, we wouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. And I thought that life, you know, I mean, historically, I thought that life was just like everything was just happening by chance mm -hmm. until I became kind of more connected to my heritage and my faith. So, you know, obviously, Candice, <laughs> the world needs you. <laughs> Right. Because you're you're you know, you're so present. What is the world needing from you in this moment in 2022? What is the world need? This is I, I'll take time to explain myself because I know people will hear it and be like, what is she on about? What the world needs from me is the optics of a life of ease. I have so many black female followers who are bogged down or feel like certain elements of life that they see online or in real life, they're not allowed to reach. You're not allowed to enjoy your life. You know, just using examples, you're not allowed to hire a cleaner, even if you can afford it. That access, enjoying your life is not a luxury you get to possess. You have to work hard. You have to be happy being underpaid. You have to be happy being a loveless relationship because these are the stories historically that have been told about women that look like me. And I think 
this year 2022 is about allowing women who look like me to have access to me living a really good full life it's literally just an example like I cannot imagine how full my heart would have felt if I came across a version of me now when I was 20 I perhaps would have dated less horrible people and been less unkind to myself because I could see a walking breathing version of what a woman who looked like me enjoying her life looked like we don't get to see that enough. Like I'm really trying to put the prongs of trauma porn down. I don't necessarily always want to engage in content or discussions that are about violence or trauma surrounding black women. I really am now trying to promote a life of ease or at the very least finding those moments in your life because I don't think women who look like me get to see or have that enough, to be honest. And who helps you? Because it could be very lonely in front of those DMs and all those platforms and yeah. typing and writing and publishing and interviewing and, you know, being on TV. Who helps you? Is it all within your internal world? Literally, it's my husband, it's my best friend, it's my manager and her team, it's my PA and it's my house manager. And that's a hell of a team. And most of it is outsourced. And I had to learn the hard way to invest in myself and my business like that. Because again, mm. this isn't just race. This is for any woman listening. We're often encouraged to shoulder every burden, the emotional labor, the physical labor, do the dishwashing, run this million pound business. It's all, you know, standalone independent woman. And I got to, I think the middle of the pandemic. So 2020, and I was like, in order for me to not only feel good, but for this business to grow we need help and the minute I said it and I put it in the atmosphere and I admitted it it felt like God was like finally I have had <laughs> these people behind these gates forever and then all this great help comes along you know I'm only able to even stand firm in the conversations I'm having with you because I've just got those people who are like you're not a bad person man don't let those negative moments affect you, you know. I'm with you. I'm with you. And I kind of want to give you <laughs> a hug. I remember that moment when I felt like God was like, yeah, yeah, we, I, I was right? waiting for you now that you're ready. Yeah, but you know, it does, um, you know, similar and different to you. I was brought up in a kind of a post-Holocaust environment. My grandparents were Holocaust survivors from both sides. And when you grow up with a survival mindset, mm. all everything but survival yeah. is luxury. Love. Literally. You know, it wasn't part of the deal, right? Exactly. It was it was pure survival. And today we we, you know, we know that when we feel safe mm. and when sh we show warmth and care and love. You know, our bodies need food, but our souls need more. And um, you touch the soul, right? Mm. You you have a spiritual toolkit, as I summarized <laughs> it before. And I know we can't go into everything. And if people want to know more, they have to read your books. And mm. they have to read and buy your books anyway. <laughs> I am not your baby mother and, and sister, sister. And, mm. you know, your new book coming out cuts both ways. So do the things that make you happy. And I'm going to add and be in the places that you feel you belong. So I want to ask you a question on belonging. Mm. We know that 
when we help ourselves and change the world mm. to be able to belong, to feel that we belong, it's good for our mental health, it's good for the world, you know, it's good for well-being. You seem to belong in many places, <laughs> you know, and I say this is a huge compliment, right? You belong on TV, speaking about fashion and trends. You belong as an author with your best-selling, you know, books. You belong on social media. You're making so much impact mm. and you belong at home. Right, because yeah, we, yeah. we see you, we see you at home, right? <laughs> we see you in the swimming pool, uh, which, by the way, inspired me because I was like, I've been wanting to start swimming again. I guess from the age of ten, yes. uh, <laughs> approaching my fifties. Hopefully, I'll get there soon. But I want to ask you, like, at the moment, where do you feel you belong most? This is perhaps going to become as no shock to those who have followed me for a long time. On a human sense, as in my physicality. I belong in the US. I belong in New York specifically. I have maxed out my physical capacity for growth in my hometown. There is a very clear glass ceiling for the things I want to accomplish and the voice that I have. And guess what? I'm not mad at that. I know there are so many people who are like, stay in the UK, stand your ground. The reality is the kind of work and journey and career that I envision for myself, the UK is not yet in alignment with for black women. It doesn't happen. And so I'm having to go a little further afield where I've seen that those gates can open up. Can't be in the place I was born. And that's so sad to realize, but this country's just not ready yet. So that's that. Outside of that though, you said something that struck me. I do belong at home. This is the year of... um again, relaxation of not overdoing it, of believing in the gifts that God has given me and understanding my purpose. Because again, because I was in fight mode for the last five years, I kind of exhausted my options and I was everywhere thinking, this is what's so funny, thinking if I'm not literally everywhere, the message won't spread and the world will forget me. Lo and behold, I have done the most message spreading during a global pandemic. Oh, sweetie, I got, I don't have to be out nowhere. <laughs> like Whatever I've been sent here to do is so strong. It's being done on this podcast. It's being done by books. I don't necessarily need to be out and be in situations that don't comfort me. I'm not the most comfortable person at a party. I'm... I'm not the first to like strike up conversation. My husband's really good at that. It actually leaves me anxious. You know, there was a part of me at the beginning of this year that was like, and so why do you do that to yourself? And to whom are you trying to prove something? You actively don't like it. And my husband and I, we get into a little argument about it all the time because he's like, you don't understand. The world is built on socializing and you know, you have to network, network, network. He always uses that word. And... I just always hit him back with, there is no network stronger than the one God's built. And like I said, mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that I won't work for things, but me going into social situations that literally leave me in tears, that's fighting. That's not working. Yeah. So to answer your question, sorry, that was very long. I'll be abroad and at No, at I home. loved it. <laughs> You answered it so beautifully. And, you know, I know we're in this, you know, hopefully towards the end of the pandemic. Mm. But I feel as someone that is reading your books and following you, I love that I had a chance 
to see you at home because maybe if this was like four years ago mm-hmm. I would only see the TV persona I would yeah. only see the full makeup full this mm-hmm. la 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 persona I love seeing you brushing your teeth <laughs> I've and I've seen that many times by now <laughs> exactly and you know this version of the world that we've been given I think it's humanized even who people would usually idolize we've all been at home we've all been in our skanky sweats chasing after children we've all been worried about elder family members this pandemic has been quite the leveler in terms of human interaction and how we move day to day and as we hopefully move to towards a world that you know we can be out more and do the parties and live our best lives there's a lot of what I've learned over the last two years that I'm just not willing to give up and my home life and the comforts of being at home and the transparency that the more painful elements of this pandemic brought on it's just non-negotiable that we're taking all the way to the end because it's the transparency that keeps people coming back and I know people who live a life online I don't want them to misconstrue what I'm saying I'm not saying you literally need to show your dirty laundry or your receipts but I am saying we're past the point of performing every day you don't have to put on a full face of makeup to go online you don't need to feel that oh I'm not the prettiest or the thinnest or the tallest or the smartest so my opinion doesn't matter the internet has made it so there is a space and an audience for everyone's message and to be living at a time like this and not capitalize on it because you're fearful of what other people are going to think of your truth that is the kind of mistake that would keep me awake in my coffin if I'm honest I'd just be like how could I have been born at such a hyper connected time where I could literally be living my dreams and spreading a message I know I was sent to. And because of literal fear, I just sat on it. I sat on it. They do say the graveyard is like the richest place on earth, right? Because most people die with those dreams. Oh my God. For anyone listening to us now, I suggest (laughs) rewind and listen again and then listen again and then listen again and then listen again because that is such a powerful piece of advice like capitalize like this is the reality what are you going to do about it mm-hmm. how are you going to bring yourself and this can be broken down to family life relationship career mm-hmm. you know physical health mental health right this is it how are you going to bring yourself i love that mm-hmm. and i feel like in a way you answered this but i'm still going to ask you the question that we ask each of our guests and it's the question that is the podcast's name which is what would you do if you weren't afraid candice are you even afraid have you you know <laughs> do you know what i am i'm desperately afraid of um things like spiders i was i won't say the name because it might i I don't want to cause legal issues but i was invited to go on a very popular uk show last year that involved a lot of spiders and i was like we are absolutely never doing that please do not even contact me in the next 10 years no 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 um (laughs) and you know what those kind of fears i don't mind because not interacting with them doesn't limit my life but on the flip you're right i'm not a scared person I've quit the job, I've rebranded, I've spoken my truth. 
in many times, in many ways I've been forced to do so. So no, I'm not afraid. And you know what? That's where a lot of negativity comes from as well. To be met with a woman who is clearly unafraid, that's a problem still for many people in this universe. Because we're used to telling women to put up and shut up and sit nicely in the corner. And it's like, oh God, Candice Brathwaite is gonna give us hell. Yes, I am. I love that you're not afraid. I love and I want to be like you. I mean, we're all on this journey, right? Mm-hmm. But I love that you say, you know, you're afraid of spiders, but yeah. it's not stopping you yeah. from being, you know, who you are. So Candice, I have a million more questions, but I have to stop myself. I can't wait to continue like, you know, watching you and cheering for you um, and seeing how you grow and how your family evolves. Mm. If it's in the UK mm. uh, or the US or in the world, wherever you are, you are spreading light and meaning and joy. And thank you for not being afraid from the bottom of my heart. And thank you for being here with us today. No, thank you so much. I think, I can't believe I'm saying this, best podcast ever. Yeah, so thank you. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Thank you, Candice. Kisses from me to you. (laughs) Thank you, you too. Thank you, Candice. Thank you for this journey that you took us on. Thank you for your openness, for your vulnerability, for your just keeping everything real. I invite you to follow Candice on her different socials, on Instagram, on TikTok, on YouTube, everywhere and anywhere where she shares her stories, her wisdom, her tools, her books. Now it's up to us to take this wisdom and these stories and think about what does it mean for me? So here we go, a set of coaching questions that I'd like to put in front of you, our amazing audience. Candice is very honest with herself. She is the kind of person that looks themselves in the mirror and has an honest conversation Without anyone being around, she just is very honest with herself. She was very honest with herself about the version of motherhood that she wanted to display with her children, which potentially is very different to the motherhood that she herself experienced as a child. So the question to you is, if you choose to be honest with yourself in one area of life where you feel like you're almost automatically being someone or behaving in a certain way that could potentially not reflect who you really are and what you believe in. Look in the mirror and ask yourself, what is one life department where I want to be really honest with myself and display the behavior, the attitude, and the values that I believe in rather than what society is potentially expecting me to? That was a big starting question for coaching question one. Next question. Candice shared these lessons that she learned through pain, especially losing her father. We don't want to experience pain in life, but we do because life contains pain. So my question to you today, think back about a life experience that caused you pain, 
and maybe is causing you pain right now, how could you potentially grow out of that pain and evolve as a human out of the difficult experience that you had or may be experiencing now? And now to our final coaching question. Candice spoke about the difference between fighting for something, which could be really energy-sucking and draining and difficult, to working for something. Think about an area in your life where you feel like you've been fighting for a long time or just recently started fighting. Is the fighting effective? Would it be helpful to transform the fighting mindset to a working mindset, more positive, less energy draining? I don't know. I'm asking you. Thank you so much for being on this journey with us on episode one of What Would You Do If You Weren't Afraid? I can't wait to reconnect with you in episode two when we speak with comedian Sophie Hagen. Thank you so much for all the incredible people that make this podcast happen. Thank you to our executive producer, Alex Hollins, Carrie Luter, our head of production, Leo Schick, our assistant producer, and Lucy Ditchmont, who is producing this show for Storyglass. Thank you so much. If you'd like to find out more about the concepts that we speak about on our podcast, about your soul, about how to find meaning, about replacing fear with purpose, you are welcome to purchase my book or download What Would You Do If You Weren't Afraid? by Michal Oshman. That's me. And I'd love to get your feedback on our podcast. So please do share, review, give me feedback so we can grow and improve 